Well, it's so good to look out and see y'all here for the first Sunday as we've regathered. We've missed having people here in the sanctuary to worship with us, so so great to see all of you here. And it's wonderful to continue to worship online for so many more who are continuing to worship from home. Uh, we look forward to whenever God leads you to return and come back with us to be here, but until then, we are thankful we can continue to gather in person as well as online. Well, as things are continuing to open, as freedoms are returning, I think many of us are recognizing that maybe in the past we've taken for granted so many of the freedoms that we have just as Americans. And so I think that's going to make tomorrow's observance of Memorial Day that much more special as we recognize the sacrifice of so many men and women who have given their lives for the freedoms that we have here in America. Memorial Day is a day of remembrance for those who have died in our nation's service. It began back in the 1860s. It was originally called Decoration Day. It was when people would go out and decorate the graves of those who had been killed in the Civil War, and then it was expanded to include those who had died in any of the conflicts for our freedom here in our country. As remember those who have died, we've heard this many times before, that freedom isn't free that it uh, requires a blood sacrifice of those who are willing to give their lives uh, for our freedoms. And as we think about those who have given our lives, there are memorials uh, to remember those who have died for us. Uh, Here is a picture of the American Cemetery in Normandy that speaks of those who gave their life there uh, fighting for freedom when France was occupied. It has the graves of 9,380 9,387 U.S. troops that are buried there. Uh, There are cemeteries like this all throughout the land, including here in our own city in San Antonio. And all throughout there are additional memorials like this one that is in Valley Forge. This commemorates the 25,000 soldiers who died in the Revolutionary War to bring about the birth of our nation. Uh, There are another 20,000 who gave their lives in the War of 1812, and the Civil War claimed the lives of 625,000 Americans. Uh, In the Spanish-American War, there were almost 2,500 more of our soldiers and sailors who made the ultimate sacrifice. World War I added 117,000 additional lives that were lost. Pearl Harbor brought our country into World War II, And here is the well-known USS Arizona memorial that commemorates the loss of almost 1,200 sailors in that one ship alone. And then as we look at the total cost of American lives uh, in World War II, there were almost 405,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen who gave their lives to defend the freedoms, not only of our country but around the world. The Korean War monument commemorates the loss of another 34,000 of our soldiers. And then the Vietnam Memorial uh, remembers the loss of almost 58,000 American lives, men and women who gave their lives for our freedoms. There are other battles that were not as big, but the sacrifice was just as great. 266 lives were lost in Beirut, 19 in Grenada, 40 in Panama, 43 in Somalia, 12 in Bosnia, and 20 in Kosovo. The first Gulf War took the lives of 384 of our U.S. men and women. 
and then the ongoing war against terror in Iraq and Afghanistan as of this week has claimed 6,650 lives, and sadly, it is still counting. Now, as we're looking at these numbers, I want to remind you that behind each of these numbers is a name and a story. Each of these represents the loss of a loved one who has given their life. Uh, It is individuals like Private First Class Brandon Sturdy. This is a 19-year-old young man from my last church in Iowa. I watched Brandon grow up in our church. I watched Brandon join the Marines and go off to war. And Brandon was killed in action on May 13th in 2004, fighting for our freedom. And I had the sad task of burying his body there in Iowa as he returned back after being killed in action. Even when we don't know the names or the stories behind the soldiers, the sailors, the airmen, and others who have given their lives, God does. And we have a tomb of the unknowns in Arlington that remembers us and commemorates. On that memorial is engraved, Here rest in honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. And so today as we look toward Memorial Day, we want to remember the sacrifices of those who have given their lives to purchase the freedoms that we have here in America and those who have given of their lives to secure freedoms for others around the world. And as we talk about those who have given their lives, the ultimate sacrifice that secured freedom for everyone who will place their faith and trust in God's Son is what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross, when he gave his very life in order to pay the penalty of death that we all owed. And so as we talk about memorials, uh, this is one that is at the very top of all memorials. In fact, as we read throughout the scriptures, God calls on us to remember. Over a hundred times we're told in the scriptures to remember, and we find memorials that speak of what God has done. It, it, It tells of God's faithfulness, who he is and what he's done for us. One example is found in Genesis chapter 28. In verses 18 through 19, it says, So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on its top, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Now, Jacob names it Bethel, Bethel, which literally means house of God, because there he encountered the living God. He saw the visions of the angels and others there, and he said, I've encountered God here. This is God's house. And he set up a memorial to remember it. Uh, After the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, it tells us how as Israel came to the Jordan, it was at flood stage. And you'll remember they were trying to figure out how do we get across this raging river to take the land that God has given to us. And God said, if you will have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water, as soon as their feet enter the water, the waters will stop up and the land will become dry. Imagine the faith of those priests as they're carrying that ark into this raging river, wondering, are we going to be swept downstream, or is God going to do what he said? And as they stepped into the river, it stopped up, it dried up. And in Joshua 4, 5 through 7, it says, And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord. After the millions of Israelites went across, he said, I want you to send back 12 people back to the ark, standing in the middle of the dry riverbed. And he said, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And let this be a sign among you 
So that when your children later say, uh, what are these stones? What do they mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. As people would pass by this pile of large rocks, 12 stones that were set up on the edge of the river, they would say, what is this? And those who had crossed over, those who had lived that, those who knew the history would point to that and they would say, this is a memorial, a remembrance of what God did for us, of God being faithful to fulfill his promise, not only to give us the land, but to fight for us. And so it was a reminder for those who would see it. You know, right now people are are feeling fearful and overwhelmed. There are many who are still afraid of what is going on. And, and those of you worshiping at home, I'm not saying that you lack faith, that you lack fear. I'm, I'm speaking in general as uh, that you are, are in fear. It's, it's that right now there are many people wondering, what is, what is next? Will the economy recover? Will, will jobs come back? Will schools open? What, what is going to happen? I want you to stop and realize that right now we have a younger generation, some who are not yet old enough to fully grasp what is happening. And as your children are growing up, they're going to be asking you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, what happened back then? What was this coronavirus? People are going to be reading in history books about this. And in that time, what are the the things that you will say when people say, what is this? What happened? What will you say? Will you be able to point to memorial stones, so to speak, where you say, let me tell you about who God is. Let me tell you about how God took us through the crisis. Let me tell you about how God was faithful to fulfill his promises, to meet needs. When the Bible tells us if we have food and covering with these things, we should be content. Has God failed you in those areas? No. And some of you are out of work. Some of you are dealing with financial hardship. And one of the memorial stones we have here at Wayside is the faithfulness of God's people who have continued to support generously God's work, which has not only met the needs of all of the church. Uh, we, have, we have not laid off a single staff member, including our hourly workers, uh, those who have been typically working in our child care, those who would have been in the Hebrews Cafe, other things. We have been able to continue to pay in full every scheduled hour for every employee because of your faithfulness. We have been able to reach out beyond uh, the needs of our church. We have had many families who have had financial needs, who have been out of work, and through your, your generous giving, we've been able to come alongside and meet needs for food, for mortgages, for uh, utility bills, for medical costs, things that people are incurring. We've been able to reach out across the globe to our mission partners in Rwanda and Uganda and Guatemala and Peru and India to the Navajo Nation that we uh, send mission trips to every summer. And we've sent thousands and uh, 5,000 gifts to each of these partners. So tens of thousands of dollars have gone out around the world to meet the needs in countries where they don't have the resources that we have and people are literally starving. And through your generosity, we've been able to send support through Uh, These are memorial stones of faithfulness. These are ways God has continued to be faithful through his people. And so as people will look back at this time, uh, what will people hear from you? Will you be able to say, let me tell you what God did. 
Or will you quickly forget what God did in your own family, in your own life, the ways that he met you? You know, memorials are important, not just for others, but for ourselves. Memorials are important to bolster our own faith in those times where we struggle, in those times where we may be fearful. We need memorials, reminders of God's faithfulness. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. There you'll remember David, who was still the shepherd David. He had been anointed to be the future king, but had not yet been brought up to to that place. And he was keeping the sheep. He was continuing to watch over the flocks. And at one point, his father said, go to the army of Israel at the Eli Valley, where they are gathered to fight the Philistines. Take some supplies to your brothers and to the army. And as David shows up, uh, you had the Philistine army on one side of the valley, and you had the Israelites on the other side of the valley. And these armies were probably very well matched because they didn't attack each other. There was this standoff that was going on for 40 days. And so what happens is David comes to the camp, and you'll remember that there was this giant named Goliath because armies in that day, if they thought it was going to just be a, a stalemate, a slaughter, they would send out a champion who would represent the army, and whichever side won, the other one would be defeated. And as David shows up, he comes to the valley, and it says in 1 Samuel seventeen sixteen, the Philistine, this is Goliath, came forward morning and evening for 40 days, and he took his stand. You know, our English word quarantine literally means 40, 40 days. It was originally a Venetian word that was used when ships would sail in and they would be kept Uh, the crews on the ship for 40 days to keep a spread of a disease from happening. It's where our idea of a quarantine comes from. And so in a way, Israel was quarantined. They were there for 40 days in fear. And you think about what many have faced in our day. And here is this giant shouting across the valley, mocking them, mocking the name of God. And as David sees this, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this person outside of the covenants of God? Who is this person who dares to mock the Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh in heaven? And as King Saul hears that there is a man who is willing to fight, he says, bring him to me. For 40 days, he's been waiting for somebody to to rise up. And when Saul sees David, he goes, you're just a boy. How how can you go against this giant? This guy's been a soldier since his youth, and he's this massive man, and, and you're just a boy. And do you remember how David responds? David says, first, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about my faith and who God is. Let me tell you about how my God has been faithful. And he says, my God allowed me to kill a lion. My God allowed me to kill a bear when these things came to snatch one of the sheep that I was over. David was looking back, these memorials, this faithfulness of who God was, and he said to King Saul, God will fight for me. God will defeat this Philistine. And so Saul says, fine, go and fight him. And David, you remember, Saul gave him his armor and weapons, and it was this, you know, he was a little boy compared to Saul was this giant himself. He's the guy who should have been fighting Goliath. It was this armor and things were too big, and David throws it off, and he says, I'm going to go with what God has has proved faithful in the past, and he took a stone and a sling. And he runs out and he meets this massive warrior. And he slings this stone and it hits, hits Goliath and he falls on his face. And as you read First Samuel 17, it says, David ran up on the giant who was down. He unsheaths Goliath's sword and he takes it and he cuts off his head. 
And then David reaches down and he picks up this head of this giant and he shows it to the Philistines. He holds it up. The Israelites see this guy has been defeated and the army is routed. The Philistines run and there's this massive slaughter of the enemy. And then as David leaves the battlefield, he carries the head of Goliath and he goes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which would ultimately become the capital of Israel, was still under enemy control. And David puts it on a stake there in front of the city. And he says, this is my calling card. I'm going to be back. This is what God is going to do to you as well. And then it tells us in 1 Samuel 17, 54, that David goes home and he puts the weapons that belong to Goliath in his tent. You know, what David does there is similar to what you see in homes that you'll go into or offices where somebody has a a buck mounted on the wall. Have you ever seen that? Or there's a trophy bass or some other fish hanging on the wall. Why are those things there? Some of the women are saying, well, to ruin my decorations. That's why they're there. You know why they're there? They're there to remind the hunter of his or her victory. It's there to say, hey, this is a reminder. This is a trophy of a battle. This is a a way that I, and as soon as you, you know, look up at their mount, what do they begin to do? They come over and they recount the hunt, right? They'll say, oh, do you see this deer? I stalked this thing for two days. And then I took this shot. And each time the story is told, it grows farther and farther, right? It was 2,000 yards. Oh, it was this. And, and, you know, they recount the hunt. Or they say, look at this fish. I fought that thing for 30 minutes and I landed it. And there's this, this victory. And if you don't have any mounts on your wall, I'm sure you have other reminders of past victories. Maybe you have a plaque from work where you were the salesman or woman of the the quarter. Maybe you have uh, a medal from your time in the service or through some sports. You have a shelf with trophies on it. These are reminders to us where when we look at those things, they're memorials to say to us, I remember a victory. I remember an accomplishment. I remember something I went through. And these are things that are there to remind us. And this is what we're reading about in the scriptures Throughout the Old Testament, God calls on us to remember. He wants us to to have memorials and stones of remembrance to remind the people of the great victories, the ways that God had been faithful. If you're somebody who's never set up an actual memorial, I'd encourage you to do so. I know people who have memorial stones in their backyard. Others take smaller rocks and they'll write things on them, and maybe they're on a shelf or a windowsill. Uh, Sometimes it's not a physical thing like a stone, but it's more of a journal entry where you can go back and you can look and recount God's faithfulness to you in ways he has, has done things in the past, prayers he's answered. And what those things do is they remind us when our faith is weak. They remind us when a giant shows up in our life and it's shouting across the valley to us. Like it is right now where some are saying, I don't know if my company is going to have a position for me when this is over. I don't know if my school is going to open back up. I don't know what's going to happen with my child's sports team or or other events that they've been involved in. And and we're, we're fearful. And God says, look at the memorials. Remember who I am. Remember how I fought for you in the past. Remember how I've provided for you. And as you think of these trophy rooms, if you're saying, Roger, I don't even know where to start, I'll point you to the cross of Jesus because that should be the the biggest thing in every one of our trophy rooms. That is the memorial that reminds us of how God fought for us, 
of how God left his throne in heaven to come to earth, how he took on flesh and blood so he could ultimately take on the penalty of death that we owed for our sins. And he went and he died for us to pay for our freedom. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus trust God for eternity. So friends, can we not trust him for today and tomorrow and next week? The Bible tells us to remember who God is and what he's done. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 13, we're told, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. Don't you love those words? But now in Christ You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Before Jesus Christ came to die for us, we were hopeless. We were lost. We were outside of the covenants as Gentiles. And God says, I have brought you into the family. I have rescued you. I've redeemed you through the blood of my son that was shed And as we talk about memorials and remembering what God has done, the Israelites were told in Deuteronomy 24, 18, but you shall remember that you were at at one time a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. In chapter 7 through 11 of the book of Exodus, it talks about the way that God redeemed his nation. You know, we're going through this time where we're dealing with a plague called COVID-19, the coronavirus, whatever you want to label it. I can imagine that if the Israelites were here, they would kind of laugh at us and say, you guys are rookies. You're dealing with one plague. We had 10, and God was faithful to take us through it, right? And so the Passover was the memorial God set up to say, remember. Remember what I did. You were slaves. You were without hope. You were under this massive superpower called Egypt. And he said, I came in and I rescued you. The final plague was when the angel of death came through And every home that had put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that home. That's why it was named the Passover celebration. And God tells us today that when we place the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, on the doorpost of our heart, God will pass over us in judgment. And so he's taken this memorial. If you've ever seen the the Passover Seder done, you know there is a series of questions that go with the meal. It's designed for the children to ask the adults, what does this night mean? Why do we do this? Why do we eat that? And each of the elements in the Passover reminds them. We dip this into salt water to remind us of the, the bitter tears that we shed as slaves and as God you know, split the Red Sea and we passed over. And each part of the service reminds them. It's a memorial. It's called the Haggadah, literally the telling. It's a memorial to remind them of God's faithfulness as he redeemed the people. And as we look at this Passover Seder uh, that took place, it, it reveals how God, through his, the shedding of blood, brought the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt as the, the blood of the Passover lamb was shed. In Leviticus 17.11, God says, Behold, I have given you the blood on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is blood by the reason of life that it makes atonement. Now, what the scriptures also tell us is the blood of the sacrifices could not remove the penalty that was owed. It was just a temporary covering. It's like paying the minimum due on a credit card where the principal balance remains. But when Jesus Christ came, 
He paid it in full. He canceled the, the debt. He cut up the card. He said, you're free. That's what we saw in this last series in Galatians we just finished, how we've been set free, how we have liberty as believers in Christ. And it tells us this in Hebrews ten three through 5. It says, but in those sacrifices of the past, the Old Testament offerings, he says, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes, speaking of the promised Messiah, Jesus, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Animal sacrifices could not remove the penalty of sin, but when Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb came, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. And in John one twenty nine, John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the penalty of sin, who takes away the sins of the world is what it tells us. And so as we we're reading about memorials here in Exodus 12, the lamb that was sacrificed was a forerunner to the perfect and permanent lamb, Jesus Christ. And so what we have is God's son who was perfect. He lived a life without sin. Remember, he was God who took on flesh and blood and he became the sacrifice. He shed his blood for us. It's something none of us could do. We are not perfect. We are fallen men and women. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has disobeyed in some way. We've lied, we've cheated, we've taken something, even if it's as small as a cookie from a pantry when your parents said no. That's sin, it's disobedience. And because we're sinners, we owe a penalty, a penalty that Romans 6.23 says is death. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Only Jesus Christ could pay this penalty of death we owed. And in the Passover Seder, it points to what Jesus did to save us. Jesus took this memorial from Exodus 12, and he made it the memorial for us who are New Testament believers. As you look at the communion service, it comes right out of the Passover Seder. I wish we had time to walk through the whole Seder, but I'll summarize uh, the important parts of it for us. In the Seder, there is a series of five cups. The last one that you see, that chalice, is called the cup of Elijah. And that, at the end of the entire Seder, is when they send a child to the door, they open the door, and they say, has Elijah come? And the child will look around, and they'll close the door, they'll come back to the table and say, no, Elijah didn't come. And then all of them will say, well, next year in Jerusalem, you know, we're still waiting. Friends, we're not waiting for Elijah to come. You'll remember when John the Baptist came and announced who Jesus Christ was. Jesus said he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And when we look at these other cups, there are those that that speak of the story. Remember the Haggadah, the telling. And when we come to... uh, the five cups that are used, there's also something in the Seder that is called the matzotosh. And the matzotosh, as you see on that slide, is a single pouch that has three distinct compartments within it. And so it's one pouch with three pouches, uh, areas, and they will put a piece of matzah in each of these separate pouches. And the, the middle matzah, is the one that is used during the Seder that will be removed. And they will take this middle matzah piece out and they will break it in half 
And then they will take and they will wrap the broken piece in a linen napkin and they stick it in another pouch that's called the afikomen. And the afikomen is a Hebrew word that literally is translated as that which comes afterwards. And so remember, they take the middle matzah alone out, they break it, wrap it in a linen napkin, put it in this pouch. Now the person who is leading the Seder, often the father, will get up from the table with the afikomen. He'll go somewhere in the house and he'll hide it. And then he returns and they continue through the meal, eating the different foods that are part of the Passover plate and talking about answering the questions. And then when you ask a rabbi, I've talked to multiple Jewish rabbis about the the matzotosh and the afikomen, and I've said, why why do you take out this center uh, piece? You know, what do these three pieces mean? And they'll tell you there's various interpretations. Some will say, well, it represents three classes of people in ancient Israel. Others will say the three pieces are the three patriarchs. Some say that it represents three crowns. And yet others will tell you, well, it points to the different breads mentioned in Scripture. They don't agree on what they mean. And then uh, no matter which of those interpretations you want to take, I say, well, then why is the middle one taken out, broken, wrapped, put away, and then brought back later? And they'll say, well, it's tradition. It's just tradition. And then I'll say, well, I have a better explanation. What about the Trinity? The Trinity speaks of God being one in three unique persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's the center matzah that's taken out. God the Father's not, God the Holy Spirit's not, but God the Son is. The scriptures tell us that God was in heaven and he revealed himself to us in physical form. You read Philippians talking about the great kenosis passage where God took on flesh and blood. He remained fully God, but he took on full flesh and blood. He was fully man. He was revealed to us. Ultimately, he went to the cross. He gave his life. His blood was shed. He was taken down off the cross. He was wrapped in burial clothes. He was hidden away in a tomb for three days, and then he was resurrected and he came back. The matzah that is used, there's something called rabbinical midrash. It's a commentary that that specifies various things, and it is very specific what the matzah is to look like. It's to be unleavened, which is a picture of being free of sin, free of blemish. That's who Jesus was, perfect, no sin. The midrash says that it is to be striped. You see those kind of burn marks. It is to be pierced. Again, you ask very specifically, why is the matzah like this? And the answer is, it's tradition. Well, I take them to Isaiah chapter 53, where it tells us, by his stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. It speaks of the Messiah and the crucifixion. And I ask them, so could this not be the Messiah that was promised, being revealed to us, being uh, buried and, and brought back? This is what we see in the Passover meal. And it's not just my interpretation. It's what Jesus Christ, God's son, told us is the meaning of the Passover. Because as Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, what we're told in Luke chapter 22 and verses 19 through 20 is this. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, the, the bread is what we just talked about, and it was what was used in the afikomen. 
And when it says he took the cup, remember you're going through the Passover Seder, and I told you earlier that there are five cups. At this point in the Haggadah, the Passover Seder, the cup they come to is called the cup of redemption. And this is the cup that Jesus held up. And he said already, this is my body, speaking of the afikoman bread, what is used. And then he says, this is the cup. And when it speaks of the cup, we're told in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25 this. For I received from the Lord, this is uh, the disciple writing for us, John telling us, I mean, Paul telling us, this is what God has revealed to us. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, the cup of redemption at this point, also after supper saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I would love for us at this point to be able to celebrate communion. But for the sake of the safety of those who are gathered here, with us physically at 410, we're not going to celebrate communion at this moment. But what I would encourage you is when you go home today, and for those of you who are worshiping online with us, we're already at home, to take some bread, some crackers, some juice, whatever elements you want to use, and have a memorial today, a reminder to us of God and his faithfulness, God and what he has done to redeem us to remember who God is, the sacrifice that was made, the blood that was shed for you and me to save us from our sins. And as you celebrate communion, I would encourage you as well as we talked about earlier to look at other memorials, other stones of remembrance you need to set up, journal entries, prayer uh, accounts that you can look back on, something that reminds you of who God is and how he has taken you through difficult things in the past so that you can look ahead not only to this time, but the things that will come and know that he is faithful. I want to close now in prayer. And as we do so, if you're here, if you're worshiping online and you've never yet received Jesus Christ as your savior, I invite you to do so. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And God offers us that gift of eternal life through faith in his son. It's available to all of us. So if you've never received God's gift, just say to God, God, I'm a sinner, and I recognize my need for your son Jesus to be my savior. And today I accept his gift of grace. I believe, Jesus, you died for me to pay my penalty of death, and I believe you rose from the dead showing you conquered sin and death. And if you do those things, you'll be a part of the family of God. Let's go to the Lord now and thank him for the many ways that he's met our needs and he continues to take care of us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it points us to those many ways that you've been faithful to those who follow you. Lord, we thank you for these memorials that remind us that you are able to handle anything that we may face. Father, for those who are struggling today, who are facing giants in their lives, I pray, God, that they would turn to you, that they would give the battle to you, And Lord, if there is anyone who's not yet received your son, I pray that today would be the day where they receive that gift of grace and are made a part of your family. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you for being here to worship with us. Thank you for worshiping online. We'll see you again next Sunday. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.